From the intuitive business coaching of Nancy O'Keefe comes business success with human design. Join us every Thursday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. to talk about how business owners are using their human design to create a business that aligns with their life's work, how they're wired to operate, and how they're here to serve so they can return to the joy of running a business that feeds their soul. There isn't one right way to conduct business, but there is one right way for you. Nancy has helped hundreds of business owners redefine success their way. Welcome. I'm Nancy O'Keefe, Human Design Specialist and Intuitive Business Coach, and you're listening to Business Success with Human Design on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. We broadcast every Thursday at 7 a.m., and 7 p.m. Eastern. Listen online, on your mobile device, in your car, or ask Alexa to play Dream Vision 7 Radio. To learn more or for a full program schedule, go to dreamvision7radio.com. All right. Okay, so my guest today is Kim Carpenter. She's the founder and CEO of People at the Center, and she is doing great things in organizations helping them attract, keep, and really get the best out of their people. So welcome, Kim. So glad to have you here today. Thank you, Nancy. It's so great to be here. So let's just dive right in. Are we still seeing the um, difficulty attracting good talent in organizations? Yeah, we really are. And I'm seeing it still every day, both attracting great talent by building a brand and a culture inside of an organization that people really want to work at and also retaining great talent. Because as we know, following the pandemic, especially the world opened up to a whole new possibility of hybrid and remote working. And so I think a lot of people are seeing that they just have a lot more options available to them and they're no longer willing to put up with cultures where they don't feel respected and valued and that they can show up and contribute what they really want to do. Yeah, a lot of people started to rethink their work life during the pandemic. And I was really glad to see um, the flexibility come into the workplace because um I started an organization back in 2001 that was completely virtual. It was probably the first one of its kind. And we were able to attract people that otherwise wouldn't be available in the marketplace because they made the conscious decision to stay home and raise children. So there's a lot of great talent out there, but the key is to be flexible and to put the people at the center, as you say. That's right. Yeah, you really nailed it. I think that... um... Companies are really seeing that they need to show up and be flexible. And as you were talking about that, it also made me think about organizations that haven't had that flexibility and that are requiring people move, you know, move closer to the office, come into the office all of the time or come into the office three or four days a week. And I'm seeing the backlash that's happening um, from one side. Uh, But then I'm also seeing that some people really love that. Some people really want to be in the office and they really value that time spent in physical proximity to their colleagues. So there's not one way to deal with this. I think every organization and leader has to make some of those decisions for themselves. That's a very good point because one size just doesn't fit all in anything in business, really. And that is typically a mistake we make. Uh, trying to come up with cookie cutter formulas and, and they really don't work. So how do you put people at the center? What do you recommend an organization do uh, to, to get to the point where they can attract the kind of people that they want? That's Yeah, thanks for asking that. I think the very first thing is to listen, is to get really great at listening and to be pulling for the information and the feedback from people to find out what it is that's really gonna be working for them. And also when you really ask and you lean in, I think people will tell you, here's how you get the best out of me. You know, here's what's gonna work for me. Um, 
I just had a conversation last week with someone who was saying, you know, these younger generations, they don't want to work as hard and things have changed and people are getting really um, demanding about, you know, work-life balance. And this was a business owner lamenting about this. And we had a great conversation. I said, I think we're coming to a place of balance where these younger generations are teaching us something about what it means to really value work and really value life. And at the same time, I'm seeing that people do want to show up and work hard. They just want to be able to leave it at six o'clock and leave work at work. And they're willing to step in in times of crisis or when it's needed to, to put in a little bit of extra time or extra energy, but not every single day and not right. every single weekend and not, you know, not late nights every single night. So uh, I think that we're being, we're being pushed to really listen and also talk about workability and what is it that's going to produce the best outcomes for our individuals, teams, and organizations, and finding that balance. Right. So right. And I love that you use the word crisis, because if your organization is in crisis all the time, that's a separate problem. There has to be sanity. And I think that's what the younger generations have forced on us, some sanity. I mean, when I first went to work, um, I worked a 35-hour work week, and that was full-time. Then it went to 37 and a half, then 40. And, you know, then crazy time happened and it was 60, 70, 80. And people routinely worked those hours every single week. And I think, you know, the younger generations were the victims, if you will, of that, because they had parents that were not home and not present. So they don't want that for themselves. They don't want it for their families. And um, good for them, I say, because we do need to restore some balance and some sanity back into the workplace. So an organization that is in crisis mode all the time, they need to really take a look at what they're doing, their processes, their management, because that's a problem in and of itself. Would you would you want to comment on that? Yeah, I'd love to comment on that. Um, it reminds me of a client that I had a few years ago that um, they had been in business for 10 years, but they seem to be perpetually in startup mode. And people who work in the startup world know that oftentimes there aren't boundaries around your time and you're trying to just get to that minimum viable product. You're trying to raise funds. You're trying to prove your concept. Um, it's kind of known that you're going to work and slog for a, a year or so before things start easing up. But it seemed like this company was just in that mode all the time and their employees kept saying, it's too much. It's too much. And the owners would agree to, um, they had they had people that they were contracting for and the owners would agree to timelines and deadlines for projects and the employees would say, but we didn't agree to that. And now you're asking us to deliver, to deliver these things in this time frame, and it's not fair. And, um, you know, I, it, it really took something for them to start listening to that. And, and it took that, I think they had, uh, almost 40% attrition at one point. And wow. it's like, that's costing you millions of dollars every month. <laughs> you know what I mean? To lose those great people, to lose the knowledge and the wisdom that's walking out the door with those people, to have the disruptions in the rest of the team when those great people leave. And they weren't losing their mediocre talent. They were losing their best talent. And that's that's what can really happen. And that can really cripple a business, especially small, medium-sized business. Yes. And um, it's right. The people that are the best talent, they're the ones that leave because they're just, they know they're good. They know they can get another opportunity somewhere else and they don't have to stay there and put up with it. So you right. end up with that adverse selection to use a term from my insurance past. But um, yeah, so um, it's so important. And, you know, for my listeners out there who are probably mostly entrepreneurs, um, this is this applies to you too, and, and maybe in a bigger way, because you are not um, an organization that can afford to make a hiring mistake. As a small business, you've got to really get your processes down in terms of hiring and onboarding to bring the right people on and get them to stay. So how, how important is onboarding? 
Oh, I love it, Nancy. You're you're preaching to the choir here with me. And, um, you know, I've been a small business myself for many, many years. And I work with interns and I work with contractors. I've had many various virtual assistants, online business managers, graphic designers, copywriters, business development people, salespeople. And I try to have the, I'll speak for myself. I try to have the perspective that these people are just like they are full-time employees. You know, I'm, I'm not treating them differently because they're quote unquote disposable contract or subcontractor. I'm really treating these people like they're valued employees and they are, even if they only work with me for three months or uh, Mm -hmm. one engagement. Mm -hmm. And so um, we actually have an onboarding and offboarding process for our interns. And we're part of a program that we employ interns on a three month cycle. So people come in, they want to learn about digital marketing. They also contribute to my business. They come to the weekly team meetings. We onboard them. We share information about the business. They use it as a learning opportunity. We offboard them and we find out, you know, how could we do, how could we be better? Mm-hmm. We, we are people at the center. So we really got to walk our talk here, right? Know, right. To how we treat people. And that's really my commitment. So I think if all solopreneur entrepreneurs or small business owners took that on, you would see an amazing shift in the people that work with you and for you. And I think shifting to that perspective of partnership, like we're all partners in this, here's the mission and vision Um, let's make sure we're all aligned through an onboarding process can really make a huge difference rather than, Hey, I'm just hiring you as a VA and I need you to execute these five things and then didn't do it right. So bye, (laughs) you know? So getting to know the people is important too. I found Uh, understanding, you know, I mean, there's a limit to um, how you, how much you can pry into their life, but (laughs) if you understand their home life situation, um, you know, after you bring them on board, uh, have a nice conversation with them. What are the challenges they face in their family? Would they like to go to, you know, Johnny's soccer game Wednesday and Friday afternoons? Maybe you can work out a flexible schedule so they can attend those. Or, you know, if there's a lot going on in the morning, getting kids off to school, maybe the start time can be adjusted. I mean, you can't do those things that people need if you don't have a conversation and learn more about what they need. Yeah. Um, this, you know, I, I saw for so many years, it was, you know, a refrigerator in the break room, a ping pong table, you know, great, all nice little perks, but do they really mean anything to people? I think one of the most important things you can do is give people things they need. That's what's going to make them stay, right? Yes. And also what you said, have people feel known. You don't need to know everything about all of their personal life, but to have someone feel seen and known and that they matter, they know that they matter. And, you know, there's a lot of studies now, Nancy, I'm sure you've seen them about how all the perks don't work. You know, big companies like Google came in and it was all beanbag chairs and, you know, on-site dry cleaning and a gym and showers, and you could just live here. <laughs> and for a while, you it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, like that's really cool. And those things don't matter. The swag, the perks, the free, whatever beer, um, it's nice, but that's not what's going to get people to stay. People stay because they feel cared for and respected and honored generally by their team and their manager, their direct manager. Yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of studies that show that the number one reason people leave is their manager. Right. So yeah, that that's a big one. So um, do you do work with management development as well? I know you have a lot of training and you do executive coaching. And, um, you know, is one of those things that you tackle the management problem? Because we know that managers, a lot of managers have never had any training. And they manage because they do what we call manage by walking around. They manage the people that are in front of them. And if people are flexible and they're not in front of them, they really don't have a clue how to handle that, do they? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And a lot of managers get into that position because they're great individual contributors or technicians or not, you know, knowledge workers, and then they have to manage human beings, which is the highest level of complexity possible. So we do offer um, manager training It's one of the 
my favorite things to do. Um, though I don't know, I'd be hard pressed to pick a favorite, but anyway, I love working with managers and there is something really magical when people can start to see, wow, I actually have to do less, not more. You know, you become a manager and you think I have to be the amazing individual contributor and have all the information and knowledge and be able to bestow this knowledge onto all of these people. When really what you need to do is find out how can I have that person show up their most effective self as their best self. As a manager, that's your job is having other people win. And when they win, you win and your whole department or organization can win. So um, yes, I think it's very powerful. And I, I really give a lot of kudos to the organizations that hire us to come in and support their managers, especially their new managers, because often that is not an area that a lot of people get trained on. And so they end up just emulating whatever their manager did before, whoever their favorite manager was, how that person was, and trying to replicate those traits. But really, there are some critical things people can learn that help them be better managers. Absolutely. And one of the key things is trust. Uh, Employees have to trust their manager. And what does that mean? Well, a manager has to say what they're going to do and do what they're going to say. I mean, it's really all about having integrity. And that I have found that is so key to the equation. If you don't trust your manager, you know, all bets are off. You can't have a good relationship without trust. It's very hard. And unfortunately, there's a lot of trust missing inside of Um, Well, really everywhere. If we look at our culture, there's a lot of trust missing on all levels. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have already come up to our first break. So we're going to take a quick pause for some commercial interaction. And we'll be right back with Kim. And let's talk about how you keep those good people. We'll be right back. Calling all authors. Have you been considering an audiobook? We'll look no further. Come take advantage of Dream Vision 7 Radio Network's unique in-house audiobook production, which includes benefits and bonuses from our radio station. Let our knowledgeable staff guide you to create the audiobook you've always dreamed of without breaking the bank. Check out our full one-stop service from A to Z, including the ACX process. Schedule a free consultation by calling 508-226-1723. That's 508-226-1723. Or go to dreamvision7radio.com. Can't seem to get in the flow of consistent clients and consistent income? People do business with people they know, like, and trust. How can clients know, like, and trust you if you're not showing up authentically? Discover your unique human design and attract the clients you were meant to serve. Nancy O'Keefe, certified human design specialist, intuitive business coach, helps women peel back the layers of who they've been taught to be to reveal who they truly are so they can build an abundant business that feeds their soul. Nancy has been coaching business owners for over 25 years and is passionate about helping them to understand their divine design and their personal formula for success. Book your human design reading today at nancyokeefecoaching.com. Welcome back. I'm Nancy O'Keefe, your host of Business Success with Human Design, and I'm talking with Kim Carpenter, who is the founder and CEO of People at the Center. She's also the head executive coach does some training, and she really knows how to help organizations keep their good people. So let's talk about that. What do I do to keep the people I want to keep? How do I create an environment? And how do I, you know, do things that is going to please them and make them want to stay? Yeah, so great. I think the first thing to really look at that comes to my mind is creating a culture of trust and respect. We started trust talking about trust a little bit before the break. And how you really do that is by talking about mistakes openly, talking about concerns openly in a way that isn't judgmental or having people feel diminished, but just looking at how do we all want to get better here? So I think one of the keys for that is having a culture of feedback, both positive and negative or constructive, where you're just looking at what happened. You know, we had this experiment, we sent out this, let's say marketing campaign, and we got some results back from that campaign. What assumptions did we make that didn't happen that failed, quote unquote, 
Um, where did we do well? Where's the team doing well? So I really encourage my clients to look at how can they create that type of culture and how can they learn to give and receive feedback and even, especially as managers, pull for feedback from your direct reports or the people working for you in case of an entrepreneur so that you, they can see you modeling this behavior where it's okay. Tell me what I could do better. I want to get better. Um, and I'm not going to take it personally and I'm not going to get upset with you. And then let's have a whole team that's doing that. Well, that really leads to amazing performance and success. I see. Yeah. And it has to be a culture free from any kind of retribution, uh, even the subtle kind. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to create that openness and it starts at the top, doesn't it? It does. Absolutely. So, um, you know, for the comp some of the companies that I work for, there's a lot of layers up at the top. And if it's not demonstrated by the very top leadership, the C-suite, um, then all of that trickles down. I say uh, the herd follows the lead buffalo, you know, so. Right. right. For that I mean, and I have an MBA. I was taught to do business in a very, I'm going to call it masculine way. Um, where, you know, there's a lot of competition, um, even within job positions, there's a lot of competition to be better than the next guy. There's, um, you know, a lot of judgment, a lot of criticism. Uh, think of a sports coach in the days of old, uh, where, you know, the way they got the best quote out of their player was to yell at them, basically. And, yeah. you know, that way of doing things is, you know, just old school, it's old hat, it doesn't work, people don't respond well to it. They really are going to respond better to being appreciated, and to be um, in a position where there's more collaboration, which is really what you were describing, working together for a common goal. And if somebody, you know, has a little blip, they don't do something exactly right. So what, how can we be better? That's so important. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. And then I think the other part of that is appreciation. I have to laugh because, you know, appreciation is free. Yes, I said it. <laughs> Listen up, people. You can appreciate your employees, your customers, your vendors, your suppliers, any people that you work with, and it doesn't cost you a cent. <laughs> I don't understand why more companies don't do this because it's really the golden ticket, isn't it? It really is, Nancy. And I laugh because um, it's so funny how you put it. And I think that it's kind of hard. I think getting really great at appreciation and acknowledgement is a wonderful habit to cultivate. And it's not something that comes super easily to everybody, especially I think folks who maybe grew up in a family environment that, you know, that it was like school hard knocks, right? Or those of us who like my first career was in advertising and it was extremely cutthroat and um, people would just say the nastiest things to each other. And you never knew when you're going to get stabbed in the back. Um, so you're always looking behind. And it was, it was quite toxic in some places that I worked in, not, not every place, with some places. And so I think having that be a conscious thing, how can I acknowledge something good about every single person on my team today? <laughs> you know, how can I bring that in? If you, um, if you do have employees, uh, how are you having your one-on-ones with them? And then what are you acknowledging them for inside those meetings, as well as talking about what they might need to work on or things that might need to be corrected. So I think it's, it's right. It's the most valuable thing and it costs nothing. It just takes some energy and effort. Yeah. But it has to be sincere. Yes. People will see through false compliments and, you know, a lot of rah, rah that has no real meaning behind it. And, you know, that'll just backfire on you if you're not sincere. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of that, Nancy, I'm curious what you think about this. I think that when we practice being sincerely appreciative and acknowledging of ourselves, it starts to come easier to, <laughs> for other people, but we can be our own worst critic. Um, and I'm just curious if that, if you've seen that in your work with your clients as well. 
Absolutely. Because one of the things I love about human design is the fact that it really helps people get back to their authentic self and to be in a place where they feel validated and very good about who they are. You know, it, it takes a lot of energy to be something you're not. And we're all told how to act in business, what to do. And really, if we just let people be who they are and bring their natural skills and talents to the table, it would be a lot better for them. They'd be a lot happier. Uh, we'd get more work out of them. Um, you know, people just really want to feel good and they want to do a good job. So trying to get people to be authentic, I think, is really one of the most important things. Help them um, allow them, give them permission to be themselves. Um, some people might be a little quirky. Other people, you know, are going to but be told the hard line. But what do you really feel like? What are your values? What, what do you really want to contribute? Um, I think it's important to let people be themselves. That's just what I see. Yeah, um, I it's um, not hard when you're trying to be something you're not. It takes way more energy. Mm -hmm. And human design also teaches us that everybody is unique. Uh, we try to pigeonhole people into one box and we try to um, get them to conform. And sometimes conforming is good. I mean, we need some rules and boundaries, but uh, when you let people release themselves from artificial restraints and be in a position to give their gifts, you as an employer are going to get so much better work out of them. They're going to be so much more creative. They're going to have more joy, more fun doing the work. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Yeah. Beautiful. So um, if you have a toxic environment, you know, let's say you've got people problems, you have attrition, you have difficulty attracting the right talent, uh, you have some management issues. What's the first step in in addressing that besides calling your firm or mine what's the first <laughs> in addressing that so if you're a business owner and you have this situation at your company i would say um talking about the elephant in the room <laughs> and this is not an easy conversation but i think that there's so much power in just acknowledging hey you know what this isn't the culture that I really would like here. And I'm noticing that we've got some patterns of behavior that aren't really creating um, the great culture that I'm committed to creating here. And I'm wondering what you think about that. And how could we come together to create something that's better, more workable, more exciting, you know, enlivening? <laughs> inspiring, whatever the word is for you. But I think the first thing is just to really acknowledge it and not try to hide and pretend like that doesn't exist and keep putting band-aids over it or, you know, woo, let's just, let's all, let's have a party. Let's have a party on zoom and <laughs> cheers mm -hmm. to each other. When things are tough, you got to pull the band-aid off and talk about it. So I think there's, you know, Again, it really depends on how hard it is, how bad it is, how deep it is. And right. it's got to be authentic, right? It can't be, I'm saying this just because I think I should say it. Right. It's, it's got to be real. And then there's got to be a real commitment behind it to doing something to change. Right. I have been in so many organizations where management has decided to do some sort of a survey or a poll and get, you know, ask some questions or they get a bunch of of their employees in a room and they're going to have a focus group and you hear everybody saying, well, here's another time we're going to give our opinions and it's not going to go anywhere or nobody's going to do anything about the problems we bring to the table. So you've got, again, you've got to be sincere and you really have to talk about the elephant in the room. Hey, we know we have a problem. Hey, we think we might be the problem. Help us get better. I mean, it's difficult for, I think, you know, the C-suite to, to get down in the dirt and just say, you know what, I think we might be part of the problem. What could we do to be better? How could we serve our employees better? If you think of your employees more like customers, um, you know, during the uh, age of, um, you know, the quality movement, which we talked about the internal customer, you know, the employee being the internal customer. Most yeah. of our 
most of the companies I work with go through hoops to please the customer, but they don't do much for the employee. And if you think of them as your internal customers and, you know, you work as hard to please them as you do your external customers, I think the companies would be in a much better place. Yeah, completely agree, Nancy. And that's the shift to having people at the center is really seeing that your organization is going to be successful because the people in the organization (laughs) creating the work are going to be successful. And so if you focus in both places, you have a lot higher likelihood of success. Right. Yeah, you really you have to care. You have to care. And unfortunately, most times cultures are created sort of as a byproduct of um, processes and behavior. I, I don't know of too many company CEOs that sit, sit down and say, okay, this is the kind of culture I want. Now let me create it. I just don't think that happens. Do you Have you seen that happen? I have seen it happen. And I've actually been a part of it happening. Thank goodness. I think I'm very blessed in that way to have some some very forward thinking clients and have worked with quite a few startups that started out um, in a great place and still had to make refinements along the way. You know, nothing is finished and perfect. And like you said, the original culture can sometimes also come out of um, the founder's personality, right? So if you think about Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, if you think about, you know, some of these organizations that the founder's still around, they can be guiding a little bit of the culture with that personality. And sometimes it's not great, you know, it's yeah. like it's the overworking, over pushing, you know, super competitive. Um, and until there's a, a, I don't even know what the number is, but like there's a group of humans that are all working together. And then those processes and those ways of being and those style communication styles and everything really do start to form the culture. And then what I also see is companies get to a critical growth point where maybe they have that mom and pop shop mentality culture up until, you know, a hundred people. And then suddenly they're exploding. Their growth is exploding. They got funding, you know, they're going to 200 people and it's a whole different ball game and what the culture that sustained them in the beginning can't sustain the next level of growth. So they have to evolve. And that's often when I see companies bringing in people like us to talk about how do we do this? How do we get to this next level of efficiency, effectiveness, performance, and nurturing cultures that keep our talent here uh, going? Yeah, well, I'm glad you've seen some people start out with a good cultural model. That's good to hear. And you're right. The minute you get to that tipping point in your growth, where the how you started no longer serves you and you need something different, it's, you know, it's good to hear that companies know that, recognize it, and reach out to um, a professional to help them with that. Um, so that's something to note for all you entrepreneurs who are in growth mode. As you get to a certain point, what got you there may not continue to sustain you, and you may need some help in crafting a little bit of tweaking around your your new business model so you can grow further. That's really good advice. Awesome. All right, let's talk about communication because that has to be central to a lot of this. Tell me about some of the communication problems you might see in organizations that need to have uh, talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think we can all think about some of our favorite communication challenges from, you know, whatever work that we've been in in our lives. Um, I think you touched on an important one, which is kind of the antiquated command and control models of leadership where there are dictators and then they expect people to just go execute their commands. And so there's a whole lot of things that happen in between uh, giving that command and then having people actually put things into motion. And I think a lot of that toxicity can come from there where I see managers shielding their teams from the senior management. And so there's this disconnect or silo, right? Senior management's in their own little silo. Then there's middle management that's trying to protect their team from this toxic behavior that's happening in the senior. And then there's the whole team that's working together. And 
there can be a whole host of um, dysfunctions from uh, passive aggressiveness to outright aggressiveness and everything in between. So um, I think that, you know, there's no one answer there. And where I like to start when I'm working with companies is just on a level of understanding. First, self-awareness. So mm-hmm. each individual person, am, am I aware of my communication and the impact of my communication on others? What is that impact? How am I, what is my style? So I work with um, disc assessments and different things that can identify people's styles. Human design is another great one. And we, we look at how do we start communicating about each other's styles. So first my own self-awareness, what's my style, what's the impact, then other awareness, what are other people's styles and how do I need to adapt my style to show up and connect with them better, right? Mm -hmm. Effective communication isn't just about getting someone to do what you want. (laughs) It's about how can I connect with this other human being or with the other people on my team so that we can all accomplish more together. And then the senior leadership has to be in support of this. They have to also be introspective and looking at how they're communicating. And then there's got to be a willingness to start to shift and address some of the things that aren't working. I love to use the term workability instead of something being right or wrong. How can we just create more workability in our communication? So if I'm saying something that upsets you, you can just come and talk to me about it and we can talk through it, right? Instead of sending passive aggressive Slack messages or text messages or other ineffective (laughs) ways of communicating. So those are a few things that come to mind when you ask me that. Yeah, yeah, communication is really important. Um, And I think one of the, the keys to good communication is there has to be a level of transparency and it has to start at the top and then there has to be honesty. Um, you know, it's really, really important that when you have that disconnect between senior level and the middle management level, and you talked about managers shielding the employees from the senior level, you know, at what point does, can the manager feel comfortable going up the line and saying, hey, um, we're having a problem down in the ranks and we, you know, we see it coming from this communication or lack of this or this attitude. I mean, it has, takes a pretty brave manager to do that, doesn't it? It does tr- take a really brave manager. And I think that's why communication mishaps and dysfunctions stay around is simply fear, right? Fear. People are afraid of speaking up and speaking out, speaking their mind, telling the truth. And frankly, there are some good reasons why they should be, you know, if they mm-hmm. want to keep their job because People, people definitely lost their job because of speaking up and speaking out. And so, um, you know, that's why the senior leadership has to have such a commitment to this and really be willing to listen. And then to our earlier point, be able to act on what they're hearing or be really straight about it and say, hey, we heard you and we're not going to act on that. You know, we heard that you want every Friday off and sorry, that's not going to happen. And we understand maybe for some of you, that's not workable (laughs) and you, you know, but just getting real about it because it's one thing to, to be dancing around it and BSing Um, that's going to lose people. Right. But I think you'll lose more people when you're not being straight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've said this to you before. One of the phrases that I've coined is, Work is a business deal, and it has to be a good deal on both sides of the equation. Gone are the days when the company can just dictate, you know, to the employee, this is the job, this is how you're going to do it. No ifs, ands, or buts, and that that just doesn't work anymore. So if you can't craft a good business deal with your employees, you're not going to keep them. It's simply that easy. Brilliant. We got to run up to another break here, and when we come back, I'd like to talk a little more about this whole communication thing because I think it's really an important topic and we'll be right back. Are you struggling to build an abundant and sustainable business you love? 
Discover the three keys to unlock your business success with human design. Get aligned with your life purpose and your life's work. Get in the flow of success. Nancy O'Keefe, certified human design specialist, intuitive business coach, helps women peel back the layers of how they've been told to do business so they can build an abundant business that feeds their soul. Nancy knows firsthand that energetic alignment is key to success. She divinely designed her life and went from receptionist to company VP and on to founder, CEO of her own multi-seven-figure firm. Nancy's been coaching business owners for over 25 years to find their personal formula for success. Download your free report at nancyokeefecoaching.com. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back. This is Nancy O'Keefe, your host for Business Success with Human Design. We're having a really enlightening conversation with Kim Carpenter from People at the Center. She's the founder and the CEO, and she's really somebody who can help your organization get a culture in place that allows you to not only hire the people that you need, find the good talent, but keep them, which is so, so important. As we discussed, it costs a lot of money to have high attrition rates. You lose, you have to pay to hire, sometimes pay a recruiter, then you've got the training expense. And if your business is a revolving door, you need to stop that because that is not good. And for those of you that have a small business and you're looking at hiring just a 1099 employees or interns we've talked about, the same thing applies. Uh, you've got to create the right culture, the right environment so that people want to come to work for you, want to stay and want to work hard for you. And one of the things we've been talking about in the last segment, which is so important, is good communication. So let's stay on that topic for a while because words have power, don't they, Kim? They certainly do. Yes. And there's a body of work called conversational intelligence, with which I know you're familiar with as well, um, which really talks about how to have good conversations where people can connect. Um, listening is a key part of it, as you already mentioned. And, you know, those of us who um, listen to figure out what we're going to say next, that is not really listening. <laughs> <laughs> that is not. Thing. No, we want to listen to really understand. That's really what we're going for. Yeah. And uh, we talked a lot about, you know, being disconnected, perhaps in the ranks from senior management. So one of the things I'd like to share is um, this construct that I believe in. And it's simply this. Are you someone who creates a threat when you walk into the room? Are you perceived as a threat? We all know about the fight or flight response. When we have fear, our adrenaline kicks in and we're either going to stand there and fight or we're going to run. And in the modern world, we don't have a lot of you know wild animals we have to fear out in the bush. But um, what does it look like in the workplace when somebody perceives you as a threat? Fight or flight might look like fight might look like arguing, rebelling not doing what you ask of people. Flight might be checking out in a meeting. You're on your phone. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're always late. You know, there are modern day symptoms, if you will, of these um, threats. Really, you're coming across as somebody who's threatening to the other party and they want out. The other thing that we see is freeze and appease, like deer in the headlights kind of thing. Uh, when people are uh, fearful Often they'll just stop and they're basically paralyzed. They can't act. They might not be able to formulate a response. You know, there's a lot of clues you can get when you work with people. Um, you know, fight, flight, freeze, appease. People that are always um, sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. They might say sorry a hundred times uh, when they really don't have to. Uh, that's people that are appeasing. They're people pleasing. That's also a sign that you're perceived by them as a threat. So I would say one of the key questions that every senior executive needs to ask, every business owner, every manager is, are people perceiving me as a threat? And when you see those symptoms, 
you need to look at your own behavior and see how you're coming across. Uh, it could be the tone of your voice. It could be what you're saying. It could be your, your you know, body language. However, uh, comments, what do you think of that? Yeah, Nancy, such great stuff. And I do love this body of work by Judith Glazer. Um, you know, something that came up for me while you were talking that I don't think I've really talked about before is sometimes it's not exactly what you're doing. Uh, could be really your positional authority. Uh, I have some clients that they're just so shocked and they truly try to be very approachable leaders. They try to be open. They care about people. And yet they still see people intimidated to speak to them or speak out in meetings. And they really have to do a lot of work to keep trying to create the space so that people show up willing and able to tell the truth. Because we have to think about people also have PTSD from past work experiences. So it could be something that you're doing. And that's really valid. Look at what am I doing? Am I are, pe are people perceiving me as a threat? Or is there something else I could be doing inside of this work culture environment to get people to open up more? Because your company is going to do well when everybody's operating at their best, which means their brain is not hijacked. They're not in fight, flight, freeze, or abuse. They feel relaxed, confident, and they know that you know they're able to contribute and speak up and work together as a team and tackle big problems together. Uh, that's the work that I do to really build those, those people-centric leaders and, and high-performing teams and so, you know, I think looking at that too, like, okay, is it something I'm doing or is it the environment or have I hired people that maybe have a little PTSD from former places of employment and we just need to work through that? Mm -hmm. PTSD, I love that you use that term. What does that look like in the workplace? <laughs> I mean, I have clients who, who say they have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And it's not diagnosed um psychologically but they they but realize, it's true yeah yeah they realize that they had a former boss who would yell at them all the time or threaten them they felt they felt threatened at work they felt threatened in the work environment they um i feel like i'm perhaps had a little bit of that coming out of advertising and for a long time i just swore off working with corporations because i said i it, i just don't want to be back in that environment i want to work with individual leaders, or I want to work with um, entrepreneurs. And now I'm come, I've come back to it. And I've seen a big change. I've seen a huge change in the last 20 years in the corporate environment. And there are leaders coming forward and talking about positive intelligence, positive psychology, you know, Judas work around conversational intelligence, heart centered leadership, Brene Brown, dare to lead, you know, all of this body of work that's coming forward saying the old command and control threatening leadership style isn't working for us mm -hmm. anymore. It's not working. It's not honestly, I think not working for humanity, right? It's time to like, we spend so much of our life energy at work. And we want to just be whole humans in all of the places that we are at home, at work, in community and society, et cetera. So how can we be creating that? Yeah. And we want to feel good about ourselves and we want to cultivate an environment where, you know, we complement each other. It isn't just up to management to um, provide positive feedback. It's up to your peers to compliment you when it's appropriate and so on. And again, it has to be sincere, but let's recognize a good, a good thing when it shows up. Uh, let's find people doing things right. I think that's so important. Uh, and again, building those peer-to-peer -peer relationships as well. Such Definitely. a great point, Nancy. And I've, I've seen companies do this, you know, because a lot of us are working hybrid or remote. Um, I've seen companies do this. Well, it could be very simple, just a Slack channel, an acknowledgement Slack channel, um, or just looking at how can I, if I'm leading a meeting, how can I bring acknowledgement and appreciation into that meeting? Can I be um, intentional about, you know, Katie's going to present something today. And then, wow, Katie, that was such a great job, you know, that yeah. you writing that article or whatever. I try to do that with my, my interns and my, my contractors. Yeah. 
that positive feedback is so important. And I can think of situations where let's say you're in a meeting and you're giving a presentation and you just start out by saying, before I start, I would just like to acknowledge Kim. Last week I had this issue. I couldn't you know, solve this problem. I asked for her help and she very graciously came over and helped me and we worked together and we got it solved. Thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate your help. It takes what? A minute. Yeah. 30 seconds, a minute. And it, you know, doing it in front of everybody else just makes that other person feel so validated, recognized and feel so good about, you know, what they do. That's how you're going to foster more of that kind and, and collaborative behavior. I love that you brought that in. And I just really want to point out that I think we don't want to share our airtime with anyone. (laughs) You know, when we get that precious few minutes in a meeting, we often want to take all that time because that's our time. And you're talking about sharing the airtime and using some of that time to acknowledge others, which has a positive ripple effect across the whole team. So such a great idea. Well, and it makes you look good too. You know, it's a, a yeah. just a, a real win for everybody. Yeah, I think there's just not enough that goes on. Um, but, you know, it's I've been out of corporate for quite some time and um, I got disgusted with it. It was just so cutthroat. I was in a lot of male-dominated industries, including technology, insurance, and it was just, you know, it was just not fun. <laughs> But I'm glad to hear it's softening and we have a, a kinder corporate America emerging. I think that's so important. Um, that's that's good to hear. So let me ask you now, how can people find you and um, what would you like to share about your consultancy and how you can help people? Thanks, Nancy. So our, you can find us at peopleatthecenter.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Kim Carpenter. Um, I would love to talk to folks about how I can support their organizations coming in as a speaker or facilitating a lunch and learn or training around how to build dynamic teams, how to attract and retain your top talent. Um, I speak a lot about the neuroscience of trust. So how to build trust and how to use those neuroscience principles to do that. So I would love to talk to anybody about how I can show up and serve their audience. Great. And give us your website one more time. Yeah, it's people at the center.com. Excellent. Well, I have to say this has been a great conversation. I think we could probably talk the rest of the day about this topic because it's passionate for both of us. Um, I want to thank you for being my guest. And it was excellent reconnecting with you. Let's not leave so much time in between. For sure. Um, And to the listeners, even if you have a one man shop, you've got to deal with other people. So please um, take some of this to heart. Look at how you're interacting with others. Because if you're not appreciating people and you're not treating them right, you're you're just not going to get the best results. Mama always said you get more flies with honey than vinegar. And it's very true. (laughs) All right, Kim, any final words? No, just thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow.